I'm Alan Robin, and I was sitting here with my partner, Mr. Earl Dowd. Good evening. And also with Mr. Westbrook Van Voorhees, Mr. John St. Ledger, and Mr. John Cameron Swayze. And the five of us are going to conduct a series of simulated press conferences. We've taken the actual recorded voices of the president and other prominent political people, and we've put their answers with questions entirely of our own making. Well, why did we ever do a thing like that? Well, I don't know, but I think it sounds much more interesting this way. I remember being fascinated by the simple magic of of how they did it. Mm -hmm. um, I think there wasn't, um, even in that, at that time, I don't think there was that kind of uh, experimentation in America, maybe. You right. know, the Pythons, I think, overseas had. Um, are we talking? Or, or, okay. Might as well. <laughs> I started recording because I figured, hey, we're going to Okay, talk. all right. Um, yeah, you know, uh, I think that. Um, that even though it's a very simple gimmick and it wouldn't take a lot to, you know, to necessarily get this together, mm -hmm. except to acquire in some way for use the the audio clips. And I don't know, that might have been before the copyright. Uh, who was um, was it? Gerald Ford, right? That did the copyright law. I think. Oh, right. Good point. So you might have just had this stuff out there. Yeah. And people could do whatever they wanted to with it, but. Um, Okay, so should we identify what it is we're talking about? We probably about? should, and I should probably okay, identify Okay, so you the, it was the uh, Earl Dowd, and who was the other guy? Something Robin? Something Robin, yep. Mm -hmm. Alan Robin. Alan Robin. Project called Welcome to the LBJ Ranch, uh, which was a comedy LP. LPs being the large black circular things that your parents had <laughs> that produced audio. And um, they made it by getting a bunch of people who, I think John Cameron Swayze, am I right? I'm uh, almost yeah. sure he was one of He's them. He's in there somewhere. Yeah, he's there with his glasses on. And um, so they all sound like real news people because they sort of were. Right. And then they asked questions, but um, uh, they had these pre-recorded things. So they married funny, it depends on what part, what part is the comedy? Do you think that's what's that Jason when you, that's interesting that's, is it the question or the it's the serendipity of the two it, that makes it, a, it makes a gag but which is the actual so a thing that was not never meant to be a punchline becomes a punchline yeah there's probably something mildly interesting afoot there if you think about it for right. a moment because I think that's not dissimilar to um, people's enjoyment of old bad movies oh, with yeah. bad that's a good point. Like bad sci-fi mm -hmm. dialogue. And Stuff that's unintentionally funny, but I mean, here they force it to be funny. They right. find, they, they, I mean, even some of the jokes are really forced, but for the most part, you right. know, they're like, uh, and because the first time I ever heard, first of all, I should introduce you. This is Steve Steich with me. You're, you're, you know, probably should have said that at the beginning. Um, but uh, comedy writer Steve Steich is in, uh, we're in, we're in, thank you for inviting you and us Thank you for inviting yourself into your home and then inviting <laughs> us into your home. Yes, I slept on the lawn and then I called myself this morning and gave myself permission to come in. 
But the first time I ever heard anything like this, because, you know, I was a young kid. I saw um, Good Morning Vietnam. They do that whole bit where Robin Williams' character is cutting in, I think, Nixon stuff? Mm-hmm. Is it Nixon? Yeah. So he does that, but it's mostly, you know, cock humor. Mostly about balls. And uh, Really? Yes. Yeah, yeah, there's him? a little bit. I, yeah, right? I know. Isn't that so, shocking? Yeah, I can't believe it. <laughs> and then, Who else knows about this? But I've never heard anything this early. I don't know... It, was this being done in, in your knowledge? I mean, what's... Well, to my knowledge, I can't remember... Uh, what I know about my about comedy records is the, uh, these efforts, these kinds of things, and then uh, Bob Newhart. That's, yeah. that's what we had at our house. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not so sure that it wasn't a... Uh, it certainly was a profitable um, uh, thing for these records to be to be uh, popular. Uh, here's mm. here's the synergy as I see it. Okay, so especially uh, Bob Newhart in a nightclub recording a monologue. Mm-hmm. You're you're at what's your top dollar cost for that session? 56 bucks. Right. right. Okay, so that your actual product is produced for virtually nothing. Uh, versus um, doing uh, two weeks of sessions with Barbara Streisand or whatever you, you want to put it against, or yeah. to, buying Tony Bennett even a hotel room while he's in town mm-hmm. to sing. So um, uh, then you had a wonderful synergy with radio. Radio wants to have at that time funny spots or mm-hmm. something that's not music. Yeah. To have a competitive feeling, especially on morning on morning shows. Yeah. Even then. Now this is before morning shows got zany. You're right. They used to be kind of mildly informative and mildly amusing, and then they got zany. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that's when we had morning zoos and 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 everything just completely uh, de- deteriorated. But. Oh, yeah. um, so so you've got now you've got radio. These people, the comedy albums are out. The radio's playing them with regularity maybe one little piece a morning mm-hmm. or something like that, especially if the record is new. Mm-hmm. And, and it just drives people to go buy it. Yeah. And they do. Uh, um, also, uh, things were, I mean, they were relatively, LPs were not, they were not expensive. What I don't think really occurred to people about long playing records in the time that they were happening mm-hmm. was to collect them. I think that came yeah. later. Sure. I don't think people said, well, I'm building my a library of, no, right. of people had their Harry Belafontes or somebody like that. There was all, It's funny, you could probably put this together as like a little menu in people's houses, but they had <laughs> like some exotic person or something sure, sure. that they like to listen to for folk or you know, music from Trinidad or something. Mm-hmm. Like, look at us. We're especially the homes. I'm guessing you and I grew up in. <laughs> oh, see, so here we have. These are people. Of, this is the, this is a new folk group, the People of Color, <laughs> singing uh, songs of freedom. Right. And um, and then um, you had some comedy records, and then maybe jazz and so forth. And my mother's thing was uh, folk music, and uh-huh. she had folk music and Harry Belafonte, who kind of was pulled into the folk thing. Right. And, so, um, um, but I don't think people really thought about building, like guys like you and I probably own a lot of DVDs, LPs, mm-hmm. CDs. I see having CDs now, since the thing has happened with the file sharing and so forth, I see having CDs now as a kind of 
weird sort of wealth, you know, mm -hmm. where in a post, I think of everything in post-nuclear terms, you know, like how we're going to use water as money, and I think right. we're going to, I think we're going to use CDs and DVDs uh, as some kind of currency, and people will, uh -huh. you know, whoever has a way to get, uh, you know, a solar powered uh, or a 12 volt battery powered uh, DVD player, they'll Seriously. collect. Did you ever see the, um, that's a, uh, oh, the movie, it's um, kind of a classic sci-fi flick with, uh, who was the guy in, my, Don, uh, who was in Miami Vice? Don Johnson? Don Johnson's very mm -hmm. young, and it's called A Boy and His Dog. You ever okay. hear that title? I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. Yeah, so in I've that post-nuclear future, people come with like canned food that they've dug out of the ashes or mm -hmm. whatever. You know, like so. If you have a can of cream corn, then you get to stay and watch the movie that night. Which, oh wow! Which at that time they showed as a, as a as an actual sixteen millimeter thing playing, mm -hmm. and, and of course it was like an instructional film of some sort. Or something. But <laughs> this was this was what was going on in the post nuclear world of uh, the Don Johnson movie. Gentlemen, who are we scheduled to interview next? I've been waiting around now for three weeks. <laughs> Our next guest is the junior senator from New York. Senator, first we'd like to welcome you here today. We hope this will be a happy interview. No, well, I mean, that's, I don't think that that would be, I doubt if it will be. <laughs> yes. Senator is the father of nine children and a devoted family man. We'd like to thank you for taking the time out to come and speak with us here. I'm delighted to see uh, so many grown-ups all in one room. <laughs> We continue the questioning with Mr. Swayze. Senator, I wonder if we might switch for just a moment and keep the door open. Well, sir, we normally close the door for silence, you understand. I'm in favor of keeping the door open. <laughs> All right, we'll keep the door open. Thank you very much. <laughs> Anyhow, where were we? Okay, so comedy records. Uh-huh. And then I think they've kind of gone away. You know, I sure. think that, um, are you aware of any large selling, I mean, even Eddie Murphy's movie receipts mm -hmm. were bigger than CDs of yeah. him talking. No, right? it's it's true. And I actually, as, uh, the interview I did yesterday, we were talking about kind of the same thing is like, they're, they disappear. I mean, some people say the podcasts have taken over, which is cool and everything, but it's not, there's no... Uh, production value necessarily to all of them you know you're not spending this decided amount of time and amount of money and amount of effort to put together this one thing you want to uh -huh. represent you right. so that's that's the big difference and I think that's kind of a mistake to, to trying to find that find that correlation between the two but like no it's, it's all if it's comedy albums it's either stand-up or it's gonna be Weird Al and Weird Al you know I think I think <laughs> sells him you know he's still like somehow stays relevant and, um, you know just a couple of quick uh, things on him mm-hmm because I opened three, I ended up opening like three shows for Weird Al. Really? Uh, well, he had two shows. I think it was two shows in Denver, and then uh, there's a nearby town called Fort Collins. Mm -hmm. And I think I went. I was invited there. This is when I was a stand-up, and um, so and I got to do that because Weird Al's audience is uh, the mean <laughs> age is like eight mm -hmm. at mm -hmm. that time. Anyhow. Oh yeah. Yeah, they're very. They were very young kids who were. Uh, not, I mean, now maybe he goes out and does shows, and those people have grown up, and yeah. they go. And now his average 
fan is older simply my mere dint of time passing but uh, at that time so I got to do those shows because I, I was a comic who could do 20 minutes without saying anything that bothered parents or right. upset anybody and I had hilarious bits about Star Trek just to give you an idea of how fresh <laughs> my territory was <laughs> Um, so anyhow, um, but this is all I wanted to get to was so having watched him do like three shows, mm-hmm. he took he t- speaking of sixteen millimeter film, he took sixteen millimeter films of some of his stuff uh-huh. and some pieces that were sort of not available. This was all pre-internet, mm-hmm. so um, you didn't have you didn't have this stuff to look at over and over and over again sure. on YouTube. So if you wanted to see his videos or whatever, however you had seen them the first time, he so he. So, but where I'm going is the guy does a great show. Have you ever seen him live? Yes, once. Yeah. Once. Yeah. And it's really more. like, weren't you kind of impressed? Oh, like, yeah. Wow, that's a lot of... It's the biggest show I've ever seen. Energy. It's a lot of energy. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I've seen you too. And I, I'm more impressed by what he does yeah, with quick change. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, they can do a lot of lights, a lot of pyrotechnics, and I get it. Bono's sexy and has a lot of great stuff to say. But Weird Al, the fact, still doing a quick change impresses me, maybe because I, I'm a vaudevillian at heart. But that's right. still, uh-huh. it blows my mind. Mm-hmm. It, it's a, like a live, you know, nobody, I don't know that anybody takes a live variety show out on the road. Yeah. Well, we get our, um, we get the Book of Mormon, and it has a lot of blinking lights, and we get, sure. um, we got musicals that have expensive sets yeah. that travel in trucks, I guess. But I don't know that anybody takes a big variety show out and then Mm-mm. does it. I think it's going to make a comeback uh, out of necessity. Well, and now I guess circuses are going away. I, uh, that's, a, that's interesting. Uh, all the last two weeks, there's all this stuff. There's not going to be any more animals in circuses. Yeah. We're going to get rid of animals in right. circuses. And then here in Santa Monica, there's somebody who wants to uh, not allow the... Not have them bring the ponies for the children to really? ride, really, because it's too sad for the ponies to walk around in a circle, and <laughs> and, um, and it's fine, except it seems to presume a certain understanding of what ponies dream about. <laughs> you know, like you must have some knowledge that that ponies go to sleep at night going, if I could only walk in a straight line, if I could only, <laughs> you know. So I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure how that's gonna um, how that's gonna turn out. But uh, so, uh, animal consciousness. But anyhow, Weird Al does a great show. That was the point of that. I'm yeah. not sure. Are we on any sort of theme yet? I don't know. No, right? not really. But that's fine. That's well, what's then important. Let's go back to the Dowd albums, and I'll just yeah, quickly let's... talk about the. I had what happened was uh, Pat McCormick, who's sort of this myth, almost mythological figure of mm-hmm. comedy. He was this large man, sometimes with big sideburns and a and a, and a, and a mustache that mm-hmm. made him look almost. Uh, some may know him from playing a character in the Smokey and the Bandits movies, mm-hmm. where he was the guy that Smokey set up the bet with. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's kind of, of a heavy set, large, tall, yeah. heavy set kind of guy mm-hmm. with a kind of, as I say, sort of turn of the century kind of look or something. And um, and um, what happened was Pat McCormick was a consultant on a show that where I got a job to be a consultant. And consultants were people who basically came up with jokes that were made to later look like somebody had thought of them right that moment uh-huh, uh-huh. on television you know, to be uh, to have to do funny hosting or whatever. And I don't even remember the show now. It seems like it was something. I think it might have been a show that involved stunts or okay. people candid to candid camera type stunts or something. There's been like a hundred of those that have totally gone come and gone away. Sure. Um, 
But anyhow, Pat McCormick says, I'm going to do, uh, we're going to get together, we're going to do the new, we're going to write jokes for the new uh, Earl Dowd uh, LP. Mm-hmm. And I, as I say, my recollection is it was about Reagan. I think it was Welcome to the Ronald Reagan Ranch or something okay, like that. Okay, okay. Because, um, because Reagan did actually, they both actually had ranches. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, oh God, I would love to so be better at... Um, at describing the moment of the process. But what happens is Dowd gets a, a large uh, room at the, uh, just a regular like a hotel room. And some of us were sitting in the beds and some of us had chairs uh-huh. at the Sportsman's Lodge, okay. which is known for, for some reasons it has some significance in comedy circles in LA. I yeah. don't know what it is. I don't either, but it's... People go there to play card games or something, uh-huh. I think. Yeah. So it's that sort of business. So... Um, so uh, at that time, Earl Dowd was in a wheelchair, but uh, quite he was quite the... Uh, I remember thinking he was kind of a George Schlatter type. Mm-hmm. You know, it just seemed like somebody who could keep things moving and get things going. And, right. produce. and what he would do is he would gather a bunch of comedy people into these rooms uh-huh. and have them write, just write jokes. And he'd say, okay, jokes for Reagan, jokes for Nancy Reagan, Uh jokes for the press secretary or, you know, jokes for this senator, jokes for that senator. And all these guys, and what happens, you know, when you get comedians together is they all, they inevitably play, can you top this? Of course. And so he, so he's the beneficiary of that because they'll all, but um, good Lord, there were people, first of all, I'm I'm there with Pat McCormick. So it's, he, Pat McCormick brings me to this thing yeah now i walk in the room there's earl dowd whose records i listened to as a kid uh, yeah on my parents steelman was the name of it a hi-fi stereo that they had which was a, it was a stereo that was a box so it's like stereo sound but the speakers are roughly seven inches apart from each other so <laughs> you had to actually you had to have a very tiny skull in order to appreciate the true stereo and then um bill dana was in there. Really? And I had listened to him again on radio, on a small radio in our in our kitchen on morning cold mornings before going to school back mm-hmm. in uh, Milwaukee. I'd listened to Bill Dana as the radio station played his uh, uh, Jose Jimenez uh, right. astronaut. He had one about being an astronaut who didn't really want to go uh-huh. to outer space, and uh, it was huge. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this is way before you start talking about any of the aspects of that character or whether that that was the proudest moment for uh hispanic people <laughs> right. dana's uh triumphant uh jose jimenez character but um in either case um and who i can't think of other people in the room there were guys who again were famous for being comedy writers and this was at the moment where Probably in about five years, Johnny Carson was going to retire. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 so I felt like I was, some, somebody had driven up some, you know, it was like on its way to the Smithsonian was this collection of guys who mm-hmm. used to be the old comedy hierarchy. Another room. And, and then the only other thing I wanted to add to that is uh, he paid everybody in cash. Really? And I don't know what that's about. I got some suspicions that it's about keeping it off uh, taxes. Uh-huh. But he paid everybody in, in cash. Everybody got like an envelope of cash. He was even counting some of it in front. Of, okay, that one's ready to go. Somebody's helping him pass out these envelopes of cash to everybody who's in the room. And it was favored nations. Everybody got the same amount of money. Okay. 
And just, and so, and I don't remember, but I did contribute because I remember that um, uh, Pat McCormick said, you made me look good mm -hmm. the next day or two days afterwards. And I thought, wow, that's, I'll never, you know, <laughs> I thought two things at once. One, I'll never forget that too. The, with the exception of you two guys, there's probably nobody else who can appreciate that story in the universe. <laughs> who was it again? Yeah, Pat McCormick and I made him. Oh, okay, that's great. Okay, really? Huh. Did you ever meet anybody? You know, uh, that anybody anybody's real, ever heard? You know, that's how yeah, people always. Yeah. Are. What about Michael Jackson? He used to live. <laughs> didn't he used to live out in L.A.? Senator, it is our pleasure to speak with you here tonight. As Republican Minority Leader in the Senate, your views on affairs of state and on the political scene are always in demand. Senator, what's new? Well, if I gave you a direct answer, it would be almost a prejudgment of an issue on which testimony is still to be taken. <laughs> Senator, your political flamboyance is such that when coupled with your flowery oratory, there are those among the opposing party who say that you are actually nothing but a buffoon. I do not disagree. <laughs> So that was that was the experience of, of that, and I think that it was you were watch as I say I think you were watching a thing, um, you know I think I was watching you, you sort of feel like you're uh, on either a precipice or a corner of time mm -hmm. if you will where things are about to turn and go another uh, go another way yeah and they did you know and and did that album happen I mean is it's not this one is that I mean is it the first family rides again or no. Because that's what I... Is that I, Reagan? Yeah, this is Reagan. Yeah, that's, that's, that's... Well, this is 1981, though, so this is, like, just bang early. They must have written that one in 80, though. So when... So that's why I was curious, and because... And is he representing... No. No, not it? No, I think this was later. I Interesting. didn't get out here until uh, 90. Oh, okay, okay. So, so he would, was working on it before. Yeah, this would have been before. So he was working one. on another... Do you know if it came out then? Because I need I don't, to find no, that. I don't know. I can't tell you. That and also, I think... Okay. Oh, Melanie, this is interesting. Oh, Melanie Chertoff, who I sometimes swap emails with. Is there's on. a, yeah, there's a, it's great. It's the interesting, like, new generation of people on, on that one. And, yeah. Um, well, not that Rich Little was a young man at the time, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, but that's, well, first of all, I need to see if that album exists and I need to find it because that's, and see if you got any credit. You probably didn't, right? No, no. He couldn't do that. He couldn't do that. And also, on a part of the American people, mm -hmm. There was just, I think, a general magic to comedy writing in those days. Mm -hmm. I mean, what people cared about was, they would say, did you see such and such last night? Yeah. And they just cared about the, the celebrity or the personality, mm -hmm. and they, they, there wasn't really that the stuff came from anybody, sure. that, and, and that anybody cared about that. Now we sort of have this consciousness a little bit more about who makes the television shows mm -hmm. and who's behind them. and. People, uh, a lot of people, just as a lot of people know about the weekend box office totals, they know yeah. that the sitcoms have a room where people gather and. Right. So there's there's more of the there's been more um, marketing of the uh, right of the of the so-called behind the scenes. I don't know. Once you've gone behind the scenes, there's no more going. I don't know where else you can go home with people, maybe and <laughs> watch them take a bath. I don't know what. <laughs> Or you could do a podcast in their house, in their yeah. kitchen. Yes. You know, that's, that's yes. what I do. It's an enormous invasion of privacy, <laughs> and I'm calling the police right now. So, I mean, I'm assuming you don't... It's one of those things where you're just knocking at jokes, and it probably just goes by, and you don't remember You What you did is process. when you had a room full of people, uh -huh. you could say, well, what if this or that 
Reagan and then that, Nancy Reagan this or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then uh, someone was sort of like a stenographer and took the notes down, mm -hmm. wrote, wrote, wrote down what the gags were. And in, in some cases there, what I think became important was there was going to be performers or whatever, Rich Little or whoever, do it later, mm -hmm. um, that they would... Um, that they would come up sort of with premises or areas. Mm -hmm. Okay, here's a funny way to talk about, you know, Iran Gate or uh, you know, yeah. whatever the running of the guns out of the basement of the White House, etc. Whatever that what whole thing was with uh, Ali North and all of that. Oh yeah. So you just you just it was that kind of thing. I think where where there was more a generation of areas and premises and so forth, sort of to be refined uh, later. Yeah. Yeah. But and. Um, and then, and then that's it. I think there was, I think there was some beer in the room, uh -huh, and then, uh, and we were there for about four hours, and uh, it must have been that was a, it. And oh, and he gave me, uh, he gave everybody a copy of his previous album. Okay. And I had him autograph it to my parents. Uh huh. Because they had, you know, we, uh, of us having enjoyed as a family this thing, and I wanted so much for them to have that and to. To tag that we, you know, that I had gone to Hollywood and caught up with this. Guy, of course, you know? yeah. God, but all that so stuff good, can though. be, you know, uh, uh, it, it, that's the thing about Los Angeles. Eventually, everybody is out here somewhere. I mean, mm -hmm. if you want to hunt them down, yeah, you know, you can. You your own trek for Gore Vidal. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. That's true. It I didn't. Mean, you it did. didn't take nearly as much effort as as you would think. Yeah, you would think that it would be so <laughs> difficult and right. And then it turns out sometimes a lot of these people do. They want to talk to people. Yeah, they'd like some company. Of course. Yeah. And you forget that Gore Vidal is just as much of a camera whore as you are, and, <laughs> yeah, and it's right. fine. And it's like, oh, great, yeah. cool. I'll, I'll come on. No, no insult to the late man. He was he was wonderful and awesome. Right. Uh, very nice guy. But yeah, no. I mean, that's the one thing about being out here is, and then we don't talk about that often. And one of the reasons I do this podcast is to meet my heroes or meet people who've worked on stuff I love. Uh -huh. And you know, who knows? Maybe one day work with those people. Hint, hint. People who've been on the show before, but. Right. The, uh, holy crap! I'm just realizing. I'm sorry, but uh, Robin, what's his name? What's his? I'm assuming Robin's that's him. Alan name. Robin. Yeah. yeah. So he looks like Rich Summer from Mad Men. Uh, it's weirding me out. He's got the chin and the nose. Yeah, that would have been the time too. So yeah, and it's perfect time. But uh, now look here. I'll tell you what. Out. Look yeah. at his sideburns. Now mm -hmm. see, they're not anything. Sure. By today's Those are pretty standards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have much. You're more pursuit than this. <laughs> that's dude, true. But, but I'm saying that was a cool guy. Of course, these are cool guys. Of course, no, I love. I, I, this I'm, is what cool I'm, guys look like. I'm back. digging Dad's goatee. Did he still have? Yeah, you said, that's that's. Yeah, great. he had it when I knew him. <laughs> just looking on the back, you can see how boisterous of a human he was. Just just in that photo alone, like that's yeah. Just, they. That's I, I mean, I think that these guys sort of felt like if you just. If you just start talking and cracking jokes, no matter how terrible, old, and bad, you know that was that was McCormick. McCormick would really kind of crash into a funny idea more often than not. You know, he just would keep talking until he, you know, until he hit something. Of course, yeah. and it was really uh, it was really very uh, impressive. But um, he knew that was the job, and especially as I say on these things where you're trying to generate patter. For TV hosts and mm -hmm. so forth, you uh, um, you just kind of well, we would just keep talking and talking and talking, and you know, because when you uh, when you when you uh, come back in from a commercial break or something, and someone says, "Okay, we're back," at the bop bop bop, and then they can say, "The show that doodly doodly doodly," you know, now that can be a gag, you mm -hmm. know, and 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 that can be anything. Yeah, it can be anything that 
because because once TVs cut up, TV of that sort was cut up into those pieces. Mm-hmm. You know, ulti- the ultimate thing, of course, was uh, laughing, where yeah, where there was no um, uh, concern for narrative. Uh, right. Whatsoever. Right. They, if they had anything ever, it was uh, when they would have people like Nixon and so forth on, and then they would sort of wait until maybe the second half hour to bring them out. Yeah. And that's like suspense, I guess. But other than that, <laughs> uh, Lappin was a completely deconstructed. And um, so are uh, any of these, if you watch them, syndicated um, or cable stand up shows, because sure. it's okay, now this guy. All right, that was that guy. Now this guy. Mm-hmm. All right, that was that guy. Now this guy. Mm-hmm. There is no you're not you're, you know you're not going anywhere or telling a story or, or ha- climbing up a staircase to some sort of you know uh, uh, deity of comedy mm-hmm. who will be at the top right. sitting in a throne. Yeah, that's a good and point. And will say, and now funniest joke ever in the history of comedy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know you don't get that. It's just this bop bop. It's just stuff, and yeah. then we're done. Mm-hmm. You know, um, which is hard because somebody like myself, when before I ever came out here, I was probably much more high-minded about comedy because I hadn't done it professionally. And you sort of forget that it's a craft and it's a trade, and it's not uh, entirely different from from you know planing a board. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I, you know I'm saying it's much less backbreaking, I, but it's still a thing that you do, and it's not necessary. You're not there. What a wonderful job I'm doing here. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're not. What a great thing I'm about to do for the American people. You know, that's not how your brain works once you're actually working in comedy. I think that's funny on a number of different levels, what you just said. But uh, first of all, planning a board seems like you must have had that thought on a night when it really was not going very well. And first you aligned yourself with with people who had been sacrificed unfairly in in the world. So you came up with Jesus, who was a carpenter. And then you saw him planing a cross or perhaps a mast for a boat. And then that became your metaphor for all uh, jobs where you're uh-huh. by, where you're dying or you're tanking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Great. That's good. That's good. No, I, uh, um, I'm work. I'm doing a little bit of consulting right now. Uh-huh. With, uh huh. what happened was a friend of mine has a talent agency, and uh, I don't want to say where because then it'll you'll start tracking the people and then you'll know <laughs> that we've been involved with them or whatever. Right, but what right, we're right. doing basically is consulting comedians and trying to bring them, you basically get involved with them and try to make them realize their goals faster and sooner. Interesting. Okay. And I think that it can happen in any way, but I also think if, if, a, if people who are in management, so my friend has a management agency and then I'm sort of coming in as the old hand who says, you know, this, this, the other thing, put on a decent shirt, you know, et cetera. Yeah. And um, so I was thinking, I've been, that's been a lot on my mind lately. And one of the things, you know, again, going back to your sort of, you know, it's a, it's a job disposability, but here's something I'd love to talk to you about, which is, is there, there apparently a lot of stand-up comics or people who want to be stand-up comics who are doing it are torn a little bit about whether they are alternative or not. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) <laughs> and it seems to me undetermined what the identifying parameters yeah. of alternative are. Uh-huh. Our next guest is the governor of New York. Governor, it might interest you to know that you are our first interview today. I can't imagine a more auspicious start. <laughs> uh, you are governor of the most complex and powerful state in the union. 
Could you tell us what are the duties of the governor of the state of New York? I have the slightest idea. <laughs> In that connection, sir, just how often do you actually go to your office? Annually. <laughs> I mean, if I was to be funny uh -huh. with you in our little taped dialogue here, I could make some snar you know, sort of snarky cracks about what constitutes alternative. Sure. You know? Sure. But that's, uh, that's, that's not, that doesn't get us anywhere. Mm -hmm. So then it sort of is like this thing that suddenly arises. It also comes up if you, if you say it is. If you say it's alternative comedy, then it sort of is, mm -hmm, I guess, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. But um, it seems like what's going on. So again, this phenomena happens, has happened more recently than, than uh, since I quit do, doing stand-up. So, so I don't know of it personally. But it seems like comics are under duress about whether or not they're alternative yeah. enough. Yeah. And uh, it's, uh, it seems crazy to me, and yet I get it because I think that there are similar things that happen with like, okay, so this band's not a hip band anymore because for one thing, their CDs are on special at Target mm -hmm. and Walmart. Uh, Maroon Five, classic example. Maroon Five. Uh, you're not. They're not a hip band because they sell too many records, or mm -hmm. you know, there's nothing hip about their music. Well, then, let's now hear a CD from an alternative rock band. Right. Wow, that sounds a lot like uh, early Maroon Five. Yeah. So I mean, I, I don't. <laughs> so uh, what are your? Th you have any thoughts on this? Uh, sort of. Only because only only did a few years because I've never done stand up and you know grew up in upstate New York. So my perspective on comedy was whatever's funny is is good. Although I got snobby a bit in college, as everybody does. But uh, I had never heard of alternative comedy until a couple years ago. And I and while I sort of saw the delineation. Uh, where it, it seemed to be the people who, who were quote-unquote alternative comics were just a little extra snarky and a little extra ironic without having... Well, it seems like you the, reference show business a lot. Yeah. That's yeah. one thing that, yeah. that you That's do. definitely true. And you, so, and by Very self-referential. So, by yeah. doing so, act like you're not interested in being involved with it. <laughs> and so I guess for a reference on that, we'd have to talk to Patton Oswalt, who's yeah. been in what? 12 <laughs> major motion pictures and 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 a I half mean, a dozen television shows and, and co-starring co as as an almost dukes of hazard type sheriff in uh uh one of them uh -huh. uh -huh. etc so i don't know how alternative that is and, and i and again i don't say it as you know i'm not trying to no. hurt anybody here no no no, no i think that's... Pat Oswalt's one of the funniest people on earth yeah but i'm not sure what it i think they really thought as most generations of comics do that they're really bucking the system and that there's something new. And therefore, they, they're like, you know what? Nobody's ever come up with a different type of comedy. It's just been comedy or stand-up comedy. Let's call ourselves something different, and that'll make us really feel like we're separate. And I think it is just that that might be the prime delineation, is like you said, just calling yourself alternative. I'm not going to say there wasn't a different atmosphere about it, because there is, but I don't know exactly what that is. I'm um, not sure that they do either. This, you know. is, this is the thing. If you, if you, if you have... Even three defining elements, it seems like you can get to some sense of a scene. And I think mm -hmm. there's always mm -hmm. been scenes in sure. L.A. Sure. I mean, I would argue that if somebody's had a uh, jazz club, mm -hmm. there was probably always with jazz clubs, there was always probably jazz clubs that were well managed. Uh -huh. So they were neat and clean mm -hmm. and the drinks and possibly some food were good. Mm -hmm. And then there's like 
oh, you got to go see this new place. Everybody gets to play whatever they want to play, and yeah. it's in a basement, mm -hmm. and uh, the chairs are uh, off of an old aircraft carrier or whatever. You know, right. and it's just so. Uh, so uh, I, I think there's always a scene. You can always create a scene, sure. and then maybe people unify in a sort of three musketeers kind of mentality of mm -hmm. we are the uh, you know but yeah. sarah silverman yeah i believe was alternative at some point yeah and now she has uh she does a chewing gum commercial <laughs> where her teeth sparkle uh-huh in animation uh-huh so um i don't you know i don't know yeah i don't know that anything i don't know that any one thing suddenly makes you not alternative or edgy or interesting yeah. or whatever i would say after a certain number of chewing gum commercials maybe you're less interesting than you were i don't i mean i don't know <laughs> but i but it does i'm working with a guy who's i think is actually a little stressed about such things as like i'll say to him you know the language in your joke actually matters mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this is going to seem so <laughs> This is and now and now you know what we've become. We've just become the click and clack car guys <laughs> of comedy. If I talk about this next thing, but um, he has a joke that's about uh, about his car is so exotic that he goes in and he says the name of the car, and the guy says, "We don't do bicycles." And all I told him is, just say fix. Just say, we don't fix bicycles. You're there to get your car fixed. Mm -hmm. Just say fix. Do makes people think of sex or, you know, just... Sure. So it, I'm just trying to get him <laughs> to change this one word. Because I think the laugh, when he does it, is about half of what it could be. Mm -hmm. And it's not a huge joke, but but so so there. So that, that to me is, there's stuff like that about doing stand-up. Mm -hmm. uh, under any set of conditions. I mean, an alternative, maybe an alternative, what's important is to somehow sustain an in, in appearance of having made it up that moment mm -hmm, mm -hmm. rather than a practiced act right. that has punchlines and funny facial gestures and yeah. um, you're not wearing a t-shirt that says something on it, Right. maybe. <laughs> but anyhow, I don't know. Those distinctions are interesting to me. And it's, it was... You know, and you realize as time has gone on, and we look at these covers of these old LPs that they're just. I think, I think, for example, uh, uh, Bob Newhart was hip in his day for not trying to be a hip guy. Oh, definitely. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he wore, uh, he dressed like he was going to an ad agency to work or something like that, which yeah. he did. Right. Yep. Yeah, I think so. Um, and then simply by not growing a beard or right yeah yeah he stayed yeah. that was him yeah. the whole time right. and then where was carlin point, dropped where it quick you know well, carlin did that whole transformational thing and that and that mattered to him and yep. and so you realize at the end of the day it does kind of get back to the artist mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. so sarah silverman may do a, a 20 more gum commercials but at some point knock us out with a new film yeah written by herself that may really, really, really be good. Yeah, you know. No, it's it's. it's Sarah, it's, <laughs> you hear us? We're thinking. We're thinking maybe that would be a good idea. It would be. God, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. I'm. I, I am waiting actually to see this generation of comics become like the next generation of auteurs for that kind of. Th I mean, I, as much as the film landscape is changing, it'd be nice to see one of them do exactly what you're talking about, including her. 
Because, I mean, her her stand-up bits, like her Jesus is Magic, I mean, partially because it was directed by Liam Lynch, who's a fucking genius, is like, it's great. I mean, it's a film, you know? There's little bits. There's pieces. There's music videos within it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really solid. And, yeah, I've seen you know, it. I yeah. liked it. I like, no, I, that's why I brought her up, because I'm a, I'm a fan of her. Yeah, this. she's great. I just, it, yeah, she, she has one of those voices where you sort of assume it's going to, it will become something else, but I, it still blows my mind, because I, I, I ask a lot of people, uh, who are still stand-ups, I'm like, what? Not just what made you want to do comedy. I don't really care about that because a lot of people's stories are the same. I mean, I do care, but like, when it comes to people who are still stand-ups, I'm like, what made you think that this was possible to do? Why would you think this was a good idea? And that's not insulting. <laughs> I'm just like, why do you... Because to me, I love listening to stand-ups. I collected these albums early on. But I'm like, I, that's not something I could would ever do. I don't understand the desire to do it. I, I even want to act a little bit here and there. But I want to voice act. But stand-up is the one thing. And it's not that it scares me. I just don't understand the impulse to Okay, do it. so let's you know talk I mean? about that. Let's yeah. talk about that. But, all right, so first of all, uh, we're moving to the portion of the show now mm-hmm. uh, called Pure Conjecture mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With, your, uh, with your hosts, Jason and Steve. And um, I think, first of all, I think that very key to people feeling right about themselves is the possibility that at any given moment they could be the object of attention in a room. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people may have an equal or greater desire to never have that be the case mm-hmm. and never want to be because of the old axiom about uh, public speaking, which is that that's people are terrified of, most people are terrified of public speaking. Right. Most people. I don't know if that's changed now that all of us have become our own little television stations <laughs> by means of things like Facebook and so forth. Yeah. It's possible that that was, uh, that was another world where people were afraid of public speaking and now they're like, oh, how about, this is a video of my baby walking. Yeah. The first child ever to walk. <laughs> ever. It's never happened before. <laughs> God, thank God we have video of this. Right. Um, so... Uh, I don't, you know, so I think there's that. So I think there's a psychological push. And then I, th- uh, I can tell you for myself yeah. that it was uh, essentially lazy man's publishing. Mm-hmm. Because you could think of a joke in a car on the way to the club yeah. and do it on stage. And if I, you could listen yeah. to the radio on the way to the club and somebody would, uh, on there would go, and this happened today. Whoa, that's pretty crazy. And you could have formulate a gag about it. And yeah. do it. So you... And, and if you had 100 people in a room, you would just publish that joke, if you will, right. to 100 people. And I think that um, it, that's why it's not coincidental that uh, later on people go back to writing of some sort who have been stand-ups. Because yeah. I think the stand-up part was about an easy form of writing, mm-hmm. which was it's basically published and it's mine the minute I say it in front of... Uh, 50 to 100 witnesses or whatever the club will hold. Mr. President, we are honored for this opportunity to visit with you in the midst of your normally busy day in the White House. I am hopeful that the visit will be uh, helpful. First, may we extend our congratulations, although it was months ago, on your thundering election victory to the presidency. This will be for a new seven-year term. (laughs) Uh, We'll go right on with the questioning now to Mr. Swayze. Uh, Mr. President, as a continuing example of your policies, Who in the years to come will be guarding our eastern coast against Russian submarines? 35 Cuban fishermen. In those days, for myself, some of those shows on weekends would be 
you know, some of these places were 200 seats. Shit, yeah. So, uh, crazy. Yeah. So I think, I, I think those are, I think those are possibly some explanations. Out here, of course, everything is, uh, how do I get to the top of the mountain? Of course. And then the view, I suppose, about stand-up is, as long as I'm doing sets, it's like I'm auditioning. Yeah. Even though the truth is that if you're, you know, at standing near the salad bar at uh, the Sizzler on comedy night, I don't know how many industry comps are going to be activated. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's you know, it. I do. Yeah, I mean, I'm always fascinated by that. Now that I do theater, that I write for theater, I'm fascinated by the theory of industry comps. Yeah. Okay. All right, uh, all right. We'll need two for Mr. Spielberg, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and another uh, two for Harvey Weinstein. They'll be coming to see my one-person show tonight. So let's, you know what? Let's make that three in case they bring the family. Industry comps. It, it's it's just one of those things that like it's funny that like I'm scared of that struggle, even though I came out here with no money and, and had no idea what the fuck I was doing. Um, so it, it's it's just, I guess it's a very different type of struggle and it's just outside my world. But I, everything you're saying makes perfect sense. Um, I'm just, yeah. It's just weird. Ultimately, I, mean, I think it. out here, you come to see that you, uh, you are doing something and you're hopefully working each day in some tiny way to get better at it. Sure. And you're working at that thing, and you're trying to get better at the thing that you think that you do that you like. And there simply will be times when that ability of yours will take you into some rooms, if you will, or take you to this, or take you to some recompense, some money. And there will be other times when it doesn't. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, I don't... You think sometimes of, of the earliest days of publishing and so forth and how people like a novel you know and any of the novels that you and I would call the novels of our life you know that we care books that we cared about yeah you know I suppose classically J.D. Salinger sure sitting there working and like and what was the thought you know well this this will go you know this will be this will be huge mm-hmm. um, and and in years people sometimes on a novel and how do you know well you what you know is that you know that the doing of the thing is something that you love and yeah. at some level and then the other things will either come or they won't come and there's really uh, you know there's really no point in talking about uh you know what sort of arc things are going to take right i've seen people uh Rodney Dangerfield was very middle-aged by the time things happened for him. Mm-hmm. There are all kinds of similar examples in acting where uh, people had to wait till they became character actors, yeah. and then they were, and then they would work. They would have a, like a ten-year stretch where they never stopped working. Yeah. Um, and um, so. To say that there's a plan or, uh, you know, gosh, I'm 30 and it's not happening yet is just, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of baloney. I mean, I won't, I don't kid myself that I I lucked into uh, a a kind of perfect storm of synergy, which was that just as stand-up comedy was coming to sort of a, a head or something with a lot of clubs 
synergized by uh, cable television showing mm-hmm. these people on, you know, and then they're like, uh, they're like, uh, they're not so much stars, but they're sort of validated by having been on television. Sure. So now that they're, they're, they can talk for 40 minutes on a stage. Um, I mean, I just lucked into that. And then I lucked into a thing that came after it, which was to use all of that comedy generating talent to be making content for television. Yeah. And I just lucked into that. And, um, and so I don't know that there's that same sort of exact thing happening right now. I do, I do know that the, the machinery, I do observe rather, I don't know. I, I observe that the machinery likes uh, to act as though a new person is like bubbling and they're happening mm-hmm. and soon they'll be and this is their first movie and yeah you know like these actresses that are very young and are in these things and they're very good many of them um um the young woman who's in this uh film now where the two they both have cancer Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The Fault in Our Stars. Yes, I think, yes, right. And she's great. And I've seen her do other things. And I saw her in The Descendants, of course. And she's, she's, and she's really good. So that's fair to write about her. But I mean, you know what? I don't know. I don't know. Then if it gets quiet for a while, then what? What happened? You know? <laughs> yeah, that's. I don't know. So I don't know. I do think that um, uh, throughout eternity. There was probably even you know back in the Mesozoic or whatever the mud days with people in caves sitting around campfires and stuff. There's probably one guy who told a hilarious story about killing a bear uh-huh. with a rock or something, and that guy was probably you know he was probably there all week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll be at the cave all week, and. Um, so I, in some ways, I don't, I don't think, I, I don't, the, I, there'll always be some means of executing comedy, yeah. I, I guess. Sure. Um, I don't know about, the thing about internet videos is they, it, it, what is the ratio of them to ones that end up having any kind of phenomena of, I know that's the thing is they're starting to level out whereas like in an era where the first family could over the course of its actual selling lifespan sell 7 million albums uh, and blow most other comedy albums except for Bob Newhart's out of the water uh, you know you're seeing you know there are one or two that are hitting you know multiple millions then billions of views and then you're seeing other people who are maybe completely unknown to portions of the country, but because they have a, f- a fan base of about 150,000 pe- people, seems to be the weird magic number, around right. 120, 150,000, they, they have a career based off of that. So it's getting less and less about having the most, having just enough. Right. Yeah, I'm noticing that anyway. Like, the people I'm really big fans of, I'm like, they must have just millions of followers. And I'm like, no, it's around 150,000, Like, which is great. But That's at that amazing. point, you can monetize. Yes. Uh, just, I just wanted to, I wanted to get that word in there because <laughs> I so love the sound of it. And it should probably be a song title for Madonna, I'm guessing. But um, at that point, you can monetize. That's how it seems, yeah. Get, you can get ads. Mm-hmm. And then you have that many eyeballs that are watching the ads. Exactly. And you can argue that the ad... See, because that fascinates me. Is I just don't know how. I don't. I don't know what the uh, 
metrics mm -hmm. are on internet advertising. I don't know that anybody does. I mean, yeah. it seems like you could turn it on or turn it off on any given at any given time, and it and the results would be about the same. Right. I'm sure that it ha there's a whole thing with films that's probably critical. Yeah. The other thing is it's a quantity issue, too, is because you have to just keep pumping it out. There are these two guys named Rhett and Link who do really great videos. I've never not liked one of their videos. So these two guys from the South who have been doing commercials, they now have a podcast, they have three channels on YouTube that all have hundreds of thousands in, and then millions of views and stuff. And, like, they just have to keep pumping stuff out, whereas, like, again, I don't mean to get too nostalgic, but I, you spent so much time and effort on pumping out this one thing that is going to represent what you know, the thing that you want to say, right. or just the, you know, the laughs that you got that night in this case, because there's, this is all live stuff that they played. Um, and I, I don't know, it's, you're taking more chances. You're not taking as many chances online. And that's, I don't know what I'm saying when I say that, but I, that's one thing that I kind of miss is that like hit or miss, this stuff was, there's a lot of, it's, 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 it's commitment on, on, on vinyl, you know, it's, it's right. you know. Right. Well, in, yeah. And there was a, the, uh, on these particular Earl Dowd um, and Alan Robin pieces, for example, there's, um, there's a capturing of a moment in history that mm -hmm. probably has some value. I mean, sure. for example, this artwork on the top here. It's you, great. You folks can't see it at home, but um, it, it's the two of them playing chess, and then on top of the chess pieces are the heads of... Uh, Everett Dirksen. Anybody? Who <laughs> who can identify Everett Dirksen in a lineup that includes uh, three other character actors who played uh, butlers in uh, movies in the 40s? Senator, if we can uh, if we can look ahead for just a moment, uh, do you think your brother Teddy will one day be president? If he wants to uh, join me and where I'm going, I'd be glad to have him along. <laughs> Well then, if I, uh, if I correctly interpret what you've just said, uh, when would you like to be president? Now. <laughs> well, I think you know it can't be done that quickly. 1965, 1966? No, obviously you can't run for president until 1968. I don't think that's fair. <laughs> Nixon, Johnson, Lady Bird, Eisenhower, you know, which mm -hmm. like people, I don't know. And so what I'm, what I'm saying is they capture, they capture a moment in time. Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe that's the advantage to YouTube, is you don't have to commit so much time to doing something that's, that's, that's topical and doesn't sort of gather dust after a while you know, on a shelf. Maybe there's something, uh, there's, a, there's an even bigger thing to what you just said, which is it does seem like a lot of um, comedy videos or uh, videos with comedy content let's say that because mm -hmm. some are funny and some are not but they have an intended comedy content um they are more about um sort of like perennial human behavior quirks sure or uh mishaps in dating mm -hmm. or something than they are um about anything very topical sure I mean, I don't even know, for example, if there's that many comedy videos that make fun of cell phones. Mm -hmm. Maybe because 
people who use who are making comedy videos use cell phones and don't presume anything to be funny about them, mm-hmm. you know, or have seen it done, or their own behavior, you know. or have seen it, yeah, mm-hmm. right. But but there's a lot of stuff that's just about um, I don't, you know, just like frust- human frustration or uh, being bullied mm-hmm. by some element in society. In other words, not not the news, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so um, I don't know whether that's whether that's good, bad, or or otherwise. I've sometimes wondered if uh, my generation, which was roughly uh, John Stewart's, uh-huh. I, here you go. Here's a little name dropping. I, he rented my apartment after I moved down to New York. Uh-huh. Um, uh huh. Looked at it once and went, "This is great." <laughs> and I think it was because that day they had seen so much Drek uh-huh. that they just. <laughs> And I was, uh, I was actually subleasing it. I'm not really sure how it worked out. I'm not sure why I was helping him find a place to live. But anyhow, at that time, he was just a very, was a really funny comic. And I would just, uh, run into him at the cellar in the village. Mm-hmm. Bongos. <laughs> and uh, um, so... Uh, Anyhow, but I, I've worried, I've had a concern. You tell me your thoughts on this. That um, there was s- such a sudden—not sudden, but there was a quick, fast-moving uh, effort to make jokes out of news uh-huh. that started at a certain point, wherever you want to say that it started, and then just has kept going. And I wondered. Uh, if somehow that hasn't made comedians of my generation in some ways responsible for the decay of what we're getting uh, in terms of representation and so forth yeah, in Washington and the whole attitude. And I mean, did, did we somehow cause them to think that because we wanted to make something theatrical out of what they did, they should just go ahead themselves and and do the theatrics, and now we have, you know, all of this grandstanding and thumping of chests and so forth, and no legislation, no activity, yeah. Yeah. no nothing getting through Congress or Senate, no anything, yeah. And and someone perceiving that their political agenda is to be just against. The president. That's uh-huh. that's on, that's their to do list. Yes. Here's what I will do. Mm-hmm. The things I will do will be to just talk about how somebody else is actually doing things, and tear them down mm-hmm. about it. And I just I I just wondered if we don't carry some responsibility. Hang on, I'm sure that's sure. that's nobody. Uh, that's probably Bill Maher telling me <laughs> to go to hell. <laughs> We're, are you on? Are you like me? Are you on the don't call list? But the phone keeps ringing uh-huh, with yeah. people that want to clean your carpet. Or, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Political stuff too. Lots of yeah. political ads. Yeah. Well, anyhow, that's <laughs> I, I didn't I, I didn't mean for that to be a downbeat note, but it, it has it has occurred to me. I mean, yeah. if you and you have, for example, and then you have Fox News, which is uh, which is the weirdest. Thing of being completely theatrical, mm-hmm. 
but unfunny, mm-hmm. unentertaining, and seemingly not ever pretending or acting like they are aware of their theatrical yes. bullshittiness. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's that's not even Orwellian. You know, that's uh-huh. like if if, George, if Orwell had a, another dumber brother mm-hmm. who he would have written like 1985, mm-hmm. a book called 1985, in which there was a Fox News type entity that, you know, that was just clowns. Um, I don't know. But somehow, somehow it feels like... Uh, as much as we take joy in John Stewart and The Daily Show going after Fox News, mm-hmm. that Fox News and The Daily Show need each other sure. and use each other and position themselves by not either one being the other thing. Yeah. And that that becomes some sort of uh, uh, fiesta of something uh-huh. in the larger theater of life. I don't doubt it. I mean, we, no president needs, no sitting president needs to go on The Daily Show, and it's happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I mean, Nixon and uh, didn't have to try and get the Smothers Brothers off the air. <laughs> he certainly did, most likely. Yeah. You know, it's one of those, they're definitely aware of the shit. I mean, it's different then, of course, because there are fewer channels. So it's obvious, like, one of the, one of your three channels in your entire household has these two fucking hippies telling right. telling your president he's a piece of shit without saying it um, and doing it with a grin and still playing their wonderful pretty music. Uh, it's, I mean, it's it's definitely different, but, you know, the, the, the loudest, the, the loudest spoken of them are... They know that they're going to get airtime. I mean, there are people who will go on The Daily Show knowing full well that The Daily Show is going to edit them into saying stupid shit just so that they can be on there and that people are aware that there's somebody out there talking about this issue. Right. People are more than willing, so there's, there's no doubt that that shit feeds off each other. And I see what you're saying, though, the idea that, that maybe it's gotten more theatrical. I, I think you're very right. <laughs> you know. Well, I was uh, one, of my, one of the jobs that I had was an effort by... Um, the people who at HBO who had created not necessarily the news, mm-hmm. they were essentially going to create a version of it for prime time for ABC, okay. and it would play as a half hour, and um, um, <clears throat> and it was called This Just In, mm-hmm. and uh, it was the same thing. It was manipulation of it. You basically made insert shots. You had a like in a, a piece of, uh, well, this was one of mine. Uh, you had a piece of uh, Prince, who's uh, the Queen's husband? Prince oh, Albert. Let's is say it? that it's not Albert. Is it Albert? I, I, I can't remember who it's supposed to be. We can't. Anyhow, the Queen's husband. Yeah. He's sitting at a at a at a table, at an elaborate thing, and she's talking, and he's at a table, and you can see he's moving his hand a little bit on something on a table, and then we cut in a shot, and it was a toy car, <laughs> and he's going vroom 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 like that. That's it. Okay. Uh-huh. That was the level of hijinks. That was that was this just in. Yeah. <clears throat> so. Sight gags and visual gags like that. Um, so, um, but where I was going was that it was it's shown. I think they made. I think they made two. We made two half hours of it, and they were both shown either back to back to make an hour or something over the course of uh, in prime time, like in the summer, to mm-hmm. try it. Anyhow, the ratings were. So, <clears throat> even though there's there is this proliferation now it, it, what the Smothers Brothers did is they tried to be in prime time mm-hmm. and then they were on Sunday night and they had established that before yeah. they kind of decided they wanted to talk about more relevant yeah. things 
they had established a kind of beachhead in Sunday. Had you moved them to Friday yeah. at tonight show hours, mm-hmm. and they had agreed to that, but then I think why would they why would they give up right the th- that piece of prime time real estate yeah. that was <clears throat> becoming important in terms of everything mm-hmm. so the more uh, that there was pressure on them to not do what they were doing the more yeah so it all that so that I've, what i what i'm getting to is i <clears throat> i still wonder if that's the case we're not we still don't want it in prime time sure. we don't want at 8 p.m <clears throat> on wednesday night there isn't going to be <clears throat> excuse me there isn't going to be a uh a daily show. Yeah. It's going to come later. Yeah. Against the news like they played in this town. Yeah. Anyhow. And I imagine nationally. So, um, so I don't know. And then, and then yet in the day of these things and then the day of Bob Newhart and Bob Newhart was that, that stuff did occur in prime time and mm-hmm. Jack Parr having, you know, Woody Allen or mm-hmm. whatever that did occur in prime time. Yeah. So, hmm, I don't know. It's something about it's something about you can go this far, but you can't go that far. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I don't <clears throat> something about something about the hour of the day. Yeah. And if it's if the sun's been down for a few hours, mm-hmm. it's okay to uh, it's okay to suggest that your government is run by buffoons. This is an interesting bedroom. Is this the bedroom where you and the president sleep? Yes. War was declared twice in this room. <laughs> One thing I've noticed, the walls are covered with fine paintings, but why, why do all these great masterpieces have mustaches penciled onto them? Could you say no? To the president. I always try to make sure to ask people if they've never heard of this album, and I'm certain a lot of people haven't. Um, why should they listen to it? Why? Why is it? What's a good reason to listen to this if they haven't heard any Earl Dowd or, or you know, if they just haven't heard it? What's What's a good reason? What's What's a strong argument? Um, I think that again, we were talking about a certain maybe. Uh, naive time in America where there was almost a sweetness to the barbs here. These are mm-hmm. gentle barbs. Definitely. Definitely. These are gentle barbs. Um, my recollection is there's not a lot of really funny Vietnam references. Nope, nope not. I don't think a one. The references are to things domestic. Mm-hmm. So you didn't, you're not going to, you're not going to do that because that's actually something people found not funny in its day. Uh huh. So that's educational yeah. to see that that was happening mm-hmm. um, and that people were sort of putting a, a box or a blanket over uh, Vietnam, mm-hmm. which is, again, what the uh, Smothers Brothers would not do. Mm-hmm. They would not pretend that that event wasn't going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to put all that together is to, I think, develop a wider and better understanding. All right, so this is, now I just built sort of a historical argument. From just a purely comic standpoint, then I think that um, it is, 
There was. They're, they're sort of sweet, these records. Mm-hmm. They're jokey. Yeah. They're jokey jokes. And, um, and uh, that, I think, is educational, too, because... Um, Jokey jokes are still with us. That's like that's the thing I, that irritates the hell out of me out of uh, uh, morning zoo radio, <laughs> mm-hmm. where there's two, oh there's Carol and then there's Sam and they're getting it together uh, in the morning and mm-hmm. and and they just start, you know, they start talking about something that's in the news and then they keep drilling until they accidentally or otherwise hit a gag. Yeah. Yeah, and you're supposed to sit in your car and drive and wait for them <laughs> to do that. Yeah, when somebody could re- could write something for them. Yeah, say this mm-hmm. here. Say this. This will be funny if you say this this way that I wrote it on the piece of paper. Yeah. See, I, that's a job. I would. I would. I've. I've always. I think that's a. I think there's a hole for the funny mm-hmm. morning zoo, an actual like a witty mm-hmm. morning zoo show yeah. instead of. You know, ah, ah, and mm-hmm. sound effects, and yeah. you know, the toilet flushing, and there was a time when people wouldn't go on the air if they didn't have a fucking writer, if they didn't have a script sitting in front of them, because they were they're like, terrified. "Fuck that! Fuck yeah. that! I want to be funny." Well, be radio, off. yeah, that when, when radio was presumed to be something that you had to shape, uh-huh. and part of that was the almost fascist way that the sponsors controlled the content. Mm-hmm. But uh, say what you will about that, at least. It meant the content was getting paid attention to. Right. Right. You know? Then freedom of speech later on gets used as an excuse to just say whatever the fuck you want and maybe not be funny, maybe not be relevant, maybe not have any taste. Well, I think (laughs) I'm not anti-freedom of speech, don't get me wrong, but you know. No, no, you and I are both probably in the same place here, which is just don't waste my time. Yeah. I mean, don't waste waste my time. And don't tell me that you two giggling like hyenas Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. means it's funny. That's the other thing, too, is they try to self-lubricate. Mm-hmm. What they're doing <clears throat> by you say something and you laugh and then the people home and go I guess that's I guess that's funny and, yeah. and he just called somebody a fat this you know mm-hmm. I guess that's funny I guess that's comedy um but it's you know and then stunt phone calls right to people right. hi I'm not really this person uh huh yeah <laughs> I mean you know come on just. <laughs> just write, just write, just have uh-huh. like departments. Just do, you know. Uh, uh, what? Do, uh, let me ask you. Where, are we gonna? Are we almost? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So at the end here. Um, uh, okay, Jimmy Fallon c- comedy, uh, Seth Meyers alternative comedy, mm-hmm. <laughs> as we were discussing before. Mm-hmm. Is it? It's mm, a good I, question. I don't know. Here's what I like about Seth Meyers. He seems to enjoy a silly joke. Sure. As much as one that isn't silly. Yep. And then um, a lot of the desk pieces are sort of, in some ways, more interesting to me for their conception or their idea. Sure. Than the jokes that are inside of them. Yeah. Yeah. By nature, that time slot is the experimental time slot, and I guess you get to polish your stuff. And, of course, only reason I feel, I feel really bad for Seth Meyers because it's not like he's ever going to get The Tonight Show. He's the same age as Jimmy Fallon. Like, you know, they're not, he's, not, he's never going to ascend. What's he going to do after that? Maybe his own thing. But Well, he could, a lot of times, uh, people who get territory mm-hmm. in late night are then able to produce from it. Sure. No, and Letterman true. did uh, mm-hmm. and was involved in, uh, among other things, uh, Everybody loves Raymond. Yeah, right. And that just became. It. So he he has a company because he has 
that territory. And he also, CBS also gave him uh, Ferguson's show as a, yeah, as a right. thing to produce as territory. So he has that now too, and that could now turn into something that maybe gets a little more attention. What are they going to do there? They don't know yet. What they don't know. There. They haven't talked about it because yeah. the big news has just been Colbert taking over for Letterman. You know, that's the thing that's swept everybody away. Yeah, they don't care, which is too bad because Craig Ferguson's a funny guy. He's a funny dude. You know. Well, you know, he uh, he may be a man out of time. Has that ever occurred to you mm-hmm. that he uh, that if it were 1974, mm-hmm. he would be the hippest guy oh, yeah. on TV? Oh, yeah. yeah, I don't. Have and that. I don't mean that. I don't mean that his jokes or no, no, his no, no, demeanor no. or anything are out of time. Mm-hmm. They're they're great. He's great. Yeah, I do. When I make my when I commit to watch him mm-hmm. and just let him go and so forth, uh, I do enjoy him. But. Um, but yeah, he would have been with TV and late night, especially being still a newer, younger thing. Mm-hmm. I think he could have been uh, uh, much more heralded. Yeah. And then there's this: uh, sometimes having a kind of boutique television show isn't the worst thing in the world. No, no. This is how people. Be I think, amazing. I think. Uh, let me ask you that: if um, if certain uh, animated things on uh, on uh, like Adult Swim, things that are in Adult Swim. Mm-hmm. If those were, if those were suddenly tomorrow magically hugely popular, mm-hmm. would it ruin it for everybody? It's a good question. You see I what I'm ho- saying? I would hope. Like I would part hope of what not. makes it work is, uh, oh, it's Adult Swim, and right. nobody watches this. It's late and sure. set at, it's on at eleven fourteen or some weird uh-huh. thing, and I'm the only one who knows about this series where the cat box talks to the refrigerator or whatever you know i'd watch that yeah you would <laughs> i just pitched it it's good uh, yeah no i i, I see what you're saying yeah I, it's hard to say yeah maybe I did, maybe so, I, I, so, so what i'm saying is ultimately hang on i gotta let the dog out no, absolutely. It, it becomes um uh, there you go enjoy i think she was like at an hour, you know, like, oh, he's my master. I'll listen to him go on for an hour. But then at an hour, five, I'm out. Um, but, um, yeah, that that um, having a boutique spot, you know, mm-hmm. maybe isn't, isn't such a bad thing. Like, no. uh, if uh, the TV series Fargo or something were to get the same numbers as uh, any of the big CBS shows or something like that, would that... Would that would it would it would that change it? Would that make a difference? Mad Men, you know, which is talked about enormously, but sure. really doesn't have what is it has barely two million, right? Something like that. Something yeah. Like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. It, it's hard to say because the, the more attention, the more even the more money you get, the more potential there is for it to change you and change how you approach it, and maybe right. then it loses what made it interesting in the first place. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Well, you've you've made your argument for the album. Normally, I ask people to plug themselves on Twitter and all that crap but i know you don't give a shit about twitter well i don't do i don't I, the only thing i can keep up with is facebook mm-hmm. and i'm not sure my attitude about it seems to change from day to day one one day somebody said uh, well you know it's just a big bull it's the bulletin board that used to be up at the at the grocery sure. store sure yep. lawnmower for sale <laughs> has anybody seen my kid has anybody seen my dog has anybody seen my mother has anybody you know it used to be that yeah and now it's this but um there are certain things that are that I do find fascinating. The other day, uh, I published a, I, I posted a picture, and it was just the moon out in the desert when we were out in the desert. And I thought, well, now they own that, uh-huh. or something, uh-huh. or they can do whatever they want with that. It's true. 
So I don't put any pictures with humans in them because I don't, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to suddenly show up in a in a commercial for mothballs or something, you know. <laughs> yes, it's camphorific, <laughs> says Steve Steich. <laughs> what? He does? <laughs> when did I say that? Well, this has been fun. Thank, thank you for you. doing this. Of course, thank you. Thank you. And everybody, thank you for listening. And as always, have a good thing. on vinyl is a production of stolen dress entertainment it is produced by mike warden and is hosted and edited by jason klom our theme song was composed and performed by richard levinson please visit stolendress.com to listen to our other podcasts read our blogs read our tweets watch our videos and read our books please subscribe on itunes and if you like us give us a five-star rating and a nice review you can find us on facebook.com slash comedy on vinyl twitter at comedy on vinyl and find everything else at comedy on vinyl.com.